Hello all you powder coating fans and welcome to our 13th episode of the Ask Joe Powder Podcast. This special edition comes to you from the Coatings, Trends, and Technology Virtual Conference. Thanks for taking time to join us. We really appreciate your support. I'm your host, Joe Powder, a.k.a. Kevin Miller, and with me is my esteemed colleague, sidekick, and co-navigator in powder coating adventures, Nathan. He's Powder Coating Research Group's formulator dude. Ahoy, mateys. We're broadcasting from the Powder Coating Research Group studios in sunny Columbus, Ohio. Just so you know, the purpose of the Ask Joe Powder podcast is to bring news and technical know-how to the global powder coating community. Get it rolling. But before we do... Shout out! I'd like to give a shout out to the incredible PCI Magazine, that's Paint and Coatings Industry Magazine staff, who put this awesome conference together. Hats off to the inimitable Kristen Johansson. She's the editor-in-chief of the magazine. The wise and congenial Tom Fowler, who's the tireless publisher, sales guy, and all-around great dude. And the effervescent Lisa Golden, my old friend from our time together on the Finishing Today staff and a fantastic sales lady. I'd also like to include the amazing... Katie Johnson, who is the Senior Event Manager at BNP Media. This extraordinary team made a superhuman effort to transform this preeminent event from one of the best live conferences in the industry to this delightful virtual event. I think that this will be the gold standard in the future on how shows will be judged. Great job, you guys. Okay, now some news from our Guess What segment. Guess what? All right, this first piece of news comes from PCI Magazine. They report that the British Coatings Federation, welcoming the recent proposed changes to the forthcoming UK REACH program, is a small but welcome step in the right direction. They're also warning that these changes alone will not be enough to prevent the coating sector and wider chemical industry from being hit hard financially under the new post-Brexit regime. And basically, it still doesn't resolve the underlying inherent problems with the UK REACH system. They're essentially duplicating the EU REACH system, and so... Every substance, every chemical is going to have to re-register, including, you know, the full data dossiers, duplicating registrations, and they're expecting it to be a bureaucratic, burdensome, and costly to business. Yeah, I bet they weren't thinking about this when they voted uh, for Brexit. All right, and the next piece of news, this one's from... Uh, PPCJ, that's the Polymers Paint Color Journal, they report that SK Capital is going to take over Huntsman shares in Venator. So they agreed to a catch purchase of approximately $100 million U.S. 
dollars for um forty two and a half million of the shares of Venator. Of course that's gonna have to go through some regulatory approvals, but they're expecting it to close by the end of the year. And uh, yeah, Venator, that's the big titanium dioxide division huntsman. Yeah, I wonder if they're going to change the name again, so we'll be confused <laughs> some be more. Really confusing. Yeah, we'll make up a good name for them. All right, powder coating fans, it's time for our Q and A portion of our podcast. Do you have a question? Ask Joe Powder. Well, you can ask him. Ask Joe Powder. He has the answer. That old answer. Powder coating. It's the Ask Joe Powder podcast. All right. First question comes from Warren Keith Hennis in the Chillicothe Corrections Institute. It says, Dear Joe, I'm currently incarcerated at the Chillicothe Correction Institute in Ohio. I have a question regarding powder coating durability. I've always heard that powder coatings are one of the toughest industrial coatings and they last forever. Some of my neighbors on the row and I have noticed that the finish on the cabinets in our cells scratches off really easily. Our correction officers tell us the cabinets are refurbished and powder coated by OPI, that's the Ohio Penal Industries. So what's going on? Is the excellent durability of powder coatings really a myth? Seriously, Keith. Oh boy. Well, hello, Keith. Thanks for your questions, and let me try and answer them. First of all, I can verify that indeed the metal cabinetry at the Ohio DRC, Department of Rehabilitation and Corrections, um, are rehabbed by OPI, as you state, and that part of the process involves powder coating. I used to visit uh, the Madison Correctional Institute in London, Ohio, and, and they have a powder coating shop there. Is that what they call it? You used to visit the uh, <laughs> Correctional Institute? Well, yeah, sometimes I had some overnighters. Um, anyway... While I was there, I inspected some of the cabinets that had been re refurbished, and my goodness, they looked awful. The beige powder coating they were using appears to be an extremely low-quality semi-gloss hybrid, and from its appearance, it looked like it was highly filled with uh, extender uh, in the formulation. The poor performance of the finish can, can be attributed to the poor quality of the product that was deliberately made of low quality ingredients, including a high concentration of cheap filler. We're talking about filler, we're talking about dirt. We're talking about digging. And rolls out of the ground. Digging dirt out of the ground and um, pulverizing it so it can be used as a filler and things like powder coatings. Um, I was not able to inspect the powder coating line at, at uh, the correctional institution. Uh, but I really also suspect that metal cleaning and pretreatment uh, is probably inadequate for good adhesion of the powder to the substrate. In addition, I wonder if anybody is paying any attention to, attention to whether or not the powder-coated parts are being adequately cured in the oven. And if the powder does not reach the recommended temperature for the prescribed time, then the coating performance will, inevi will inevitably be quite poor. So, Keith, the coating failures you and your friends on the block observe are probably due to a convergence of a number of negative factors. Low-quality powder coating, and, and yes, 
poor quality powder uh, coatings do exist, which are applied to an unclean surface and improperly cured in a poorly controlled oven. Perhaps OPI can be contacted and offered advice on how to improve their powder coating process. Best regards, your friend, Joe Powder. And now, my friends, a message from our sponsor. Powder Coating Research Group is a proud sponsor of the Ask Joe Powder podcast. PCR is the only independent laboratory dedicated to powder coating technology. We do everything from raw material evaluation, formulating the next generation of coatings, new product development, testing, troubleshooting, training, and consulting. Find out more, visit our website at powdercoatingresearch.com or you can email Kevin Biller at kevinbiller at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening to the Ask Joe Powder Podcast. Okay, back to our questions. All right, this one comes from Nathan Swap in Lancaster, California. He says, hey, Joe, is there a way to powder coat fiberglass? Thanks. Simple question. That's a not so simple answer, Nathan. Thanks for your question, of course. And I think if I understand correctly, you're asking about the possibility of applying and curing a powder coating over a glass filled composite, also known as a fiberglass or fiberglass reinforced plastic, uh, FRP. If this is the case, the answer is yes, but with a rather specific process and materials. Before you coat the uh, fiberglass, you want to clean and lightly abrade the surface to be coated to ensure good adhesion of the powder coating. Most fiberglass harbors residual styrene, which will bleed out during the powder coating bake, so it is essential to pre-bake the substrate before applying the powder. I would recommend that you pre-bake it to about 170 degrees Celsius. The next step involves applying the powder. And here's the deal. You just might get lucky and be able to hit the hot substrate with powder and get adequate film build. This is a big maybe and requires timing and finesse. If that doesn't work, you can apply a conductive solution, then let it flash and dry before applying the powder electrostatically as one normally would do. That sounds pretty easy so far but we're not done yet. You absolutely have to use a very low temperature cure powder and bake it at no higher than 150 degrees Celsius, which that's about 300 degrees Fahrenheit. And it's gotta be cured for the recommended time by the powder coating uh, supplier. Now, not all powder coating manufacturers carry these products, so you may have to do uh, some looking around. If you're not contemplating doing the job yourself, you may want to consider the use of a UV curable powder coating. Now this would require a specific custom coating operation. In this process, the fiberglass is prepared and coated in much the same manner. However, a specially formulated powder is used. After applying this special powder, it's heated to about 100 to 120 degrees Celsius just long enough to form a smooth, continuous film. 
The coated fiberglass is then exposed to intense UV light for just an instant. The UV energy causes the coating to cure almost instantaneously. If you're interested in um, the low temperature cure powder or any UV cure powder type processing, I can put you in touch with some powder coating nerds uh, that can get you started on this. Nate, I hope this helps, and please let me know if you have any questions, any further questions or ideas. Best regards, Joe. All right, now it's time to look at our upcoming events. Hey, Cal. friends, where are we going? To an upcoming event. All right, and the only big uh, event that's coming up, I guess, is the European Coding Show. That's 2021. They're in Nuremberg, Germany, and they've actually decided to hold the show in person. Uh, they had all sorts of meetings and planning with the exhibitors and the organizers, and they developed what they call a detailed hygiene concept. So they're going to focus on safety and, you know, distancing and wearing proper masks and all that sort of stuff. So they're actually going to hold the European Coding Show. It's uh, March 23rd through 25th, and the Associated Conference is the 22nd and 23rd of March. The call for papers is already open, and you can find more details at european-codings-show.com. Okay, powder coating fans, I want to thank you for listening uh, to our podcast to this point. But we'd like to offer as a service to the Codings, Trends, and Technology attendees, we'd like to open up the floor for your questions. Okay, hey, welcome back, powder coating fans. Uh, sorry for the little technical uh, difficult we had there. Happy Friday to everyone. Hope that you're enjoying the uh, Codings, Trends, and Technology uh, Conference. I I think our, our friends at BNP have really outdone themselves with this one. Um, but we're broadcasting live from our studio in beautiful Columbus, Ohio. And we're here to answer some questions. My uh, colleague and co-conspirator uh, will ask questions and it's going to be kind of like uh, if you're familiar with car talk it's going to be stump the chump let's see if i can answer them all right yeah we have uh, plenty of questions coming in here it's great seeing everybody uh coming and participating here so just uh get it started this first one comes from michael leclerc and saw a similar question from uh bon del mundo earlier so Michael says, there's a move to powder coating softer substrates like wood and composites. What are you seeing for temperature requirements needed to powder coat these types of substrates? Good good question. Uh, thanks for the question, Mike. And I, and I believe you mentioned there's a question similar from, from another colleague. Um, this whole concept of low temperature cure powder coatings um, there are two options that, that, that can be pursued, uh, and, and both of them are commercially available. Uh, one of them is a low-temperature cure um, thermosetting powder coating. That's a you know, more traditional type of um, cure mechanism. 
Um, and basically, when we're dealing with, you, you mentioned softer substrates, you know, a lot of these are non-conductive. Some of them, however, are, which is going to influence how the, the powder is applied. Um, the ones that have a bit of conductivity, and I'm thinking like um, maybe hardboard or MDF, things like that. Yeah, where there's some moisture that you can actually use to electrostatically apply the powder to the material. Yeah, and these are, these are uh, I can say typically, they, they actually are commercially preheated. And because of that preheating, uh, the surface of the, the substrate becomes conductive. The powder is applied almost immediately after the preheat. Um, excellent depositions uh, achieved. And then the powder moves on to the, uh, the next uh, curing processes. Um, so with the thermoset powder coatings, um, what this would entail is uh, entering uh, some heat. And traditionally, uh, people are using uh, different types of infrared. Uh, probably the most common one would be gas catalytic, although some people are using electric, uh, different forms of electric infrared. Um, so the coating needs to be melt, melted uh, so it fuses and forms a continuous smooth film. Uh, and in the case of thermosetting, powder coatings requires a little more heat to, uh, to cure the material. You're wondering about temperature. Um, using infrared, it's not so straightforward, but just as a baseline, let's just say 130 degrees Celsius is kind of where these things are formulated to perform. Uh, the dwell time with thermosets is going to be a few minutes, and it really depends on how the infrared's set. So it could be anywhere from maybe three to ten minutes, uh, depending on the processing equipment. Oh, and for the really sensitive substrates, that 130C is kind of pushing the limit of, you know, what the substrate can take. So, good point. Yeah. That's an excellent point, and uh, that allows us to, to, to kind of discuss the concept of UV curable powder coatings, which are not just a laboratory curiosity. Uh, UV curable powder coatings debuted in the 1990s. Um, I, w I was involved with some of that commercialization back then. Um, in this case, the powder is applied in a similar fashion uh, as to what I described already. And the, the, the powder after its application is then melted, you know, fused, melted, forms a continuous film. And at that point, uh, the coating is exposed to rather high intensity UV energy, very similar to the, the liquid UV curable technology, which you know, I'm sure some of you are familiar with. The cure after that is really almost instantaneous and uh, the coating is allowed to cure. Now, I mentioned temperature. Um, the UV curable type powder coatings typically can be um, formulated to process at temperatures as low as 100 to 100 degrees Celsius. And I can say we've, we've done some of that work ourselves in our laboratory, and I know there's a handful of other uh, innovative powder coating uh, formulators and manufacturers that have products that are are 
are commercially ready. Yeah, and I guess the kind of the trade-off there is, yeah, UV works at a low temperature, and you can get really nice finish and everything, but it's there's, you know, you need to have that set up. You need to have all that specialized equipment for curing it, and you're kind of limited in the type of parts that you can spray. They have to be two-dimensional. Yeah, right, or, or rather sim- simple three-dimensional. Yeah. And, and the other thing is, with UV cure, you know, by and large, your your process footprint's going to be shorter uh, than with thermoset. Thermoset using infrared is still going to be pretty small compared to a conventional powder coating line. Um, as Nathan uh, mentioned, the UV cure requires another another process. Another process means uh, another variable and um, the need to you know have tight process control. Move on to another question. We have a good one here from Joshua Gesford. And he wants to know, what's the cause of tiny high-gloss dots periodically encountered in a two-component dry blend low-gloss powder? So I know what he's talking about here. You, the typical, you know, the European-style dry blend um, low-gloss systems you see that little bit of a sparkle. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I, I think what we can tell, just, just for uh, people that aren't familiar with that dry blend technique, basically to achieve low gloss, one of the things we formulators do is we'll, we'll develop a, a powder coating with a rather slow type of cure um, and an analog that has a fast, a much faster cure um, you know, basically, we do it with you know the the resins we select and the catalysis, but those two materials are are uh, incorporated in a in a ratio during the powder manufacturing process. Essentially, we're taking those two different formulations, uh, extruding them independently, and then blending them in the 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 pulverization or grinding process, and you get. A, a differential in cure, which gives the actual you, powder particles are just mixed together. And... Exactly, and you know we we also do defect analysis a lot of times because not everything works out in the powder coating world. Um, those bright shiny spots can be undispersed resin. That's my first, you know, hmm. I don't know first first uh, thought on that. Um, Nate, do you have any ideas? I mean, it could, could, could also be maybe not glossy things, but it could be pinholes that, that look like they're voids. And right. It could actually be like a physical void in the coating. Yeah. Um, the other thing I can say is, okay, you know, what you think you may see visually with the naked eye, uh, should be confirmed with uh, uh, magnification, and I'm not talking anything fancy like, you know, scanning electron microscopy. What I'm what I'm talking about is, you know, simple magnification, like a, you know, maybe a, an eight to ten x magnification, which you can get optical, not optical, but uh, the microscope we have, Nate, the uh, uh, the digital microscope. Right. These things are are pretty easy to obtain. They're not that expensive. Um, and it, it's it's really important to verify what you think you're seeing. 
because we have seen voids that look like shiny particles. Do we have time for one more or one quickie? All right, here's a quick one. Um, Michael Wolf asks, could you comment if you've learned of any additives that might be able to provide for powder coatings to be self-cleaning? Yeah. Um, <laughs> we, we've uh, developed some technology, and, and some of it's pr proprietary, unfortunately, but it's not so much self-cleaning as it's dirt repellent. And that's that's kind of a different kettle of fish, perhaps, but it... It's not a matter of it gets dirty and then the coating cleans itself. It's a matter of dirt doesn't reside on the surface. That's a quick answer. One thing I want to mention, you guys, if you want to follow up with questions, if you had some questions you think of later, um, Nathan's going to give you some some ways to reach us. Um, yeah, I think we're just about out of time. I don't know if you want to. Okay, we're going to wrap this up, my friends. Us. Um, you can find the Astro Powder column uh, in print um, in the Powder Coated Tough magazine, which is a publication of the Powder Coating Institute. You, it's also available uh, more uh, in Europe. And PPCJ, which I always get this wrong, Polymers Paint Color Journal. I think maybe I got it right for the first time. Um, so... Ask Joe runs in every edition of that. You can also find it online at uh, Paint and Coating Industries uh, magazine um, website under their Finishing Today tab. That's PCIMag.com. All right. And you can find the rest of our podcast. This is our, I don't know, 13th or 14th episode. So... You can find the rest of our episodes, um, askjoepowder.com. Um, or if you're, you know, a podcast listener, you can subscribe, know when a new episode comes out or listed on the Apple, iTunes, Google podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, everybody, everywhere else. Uh, we have a YouTube channel. This will, you know, possibly go up on there. We have permission to do that uh twitter or aka joe powder and if you know like you said if we didn't get to your question today you can send an email in to ask joe powder at yahoo.com um or you can call leave a message or voicemail it's country code one four seven eight two ask joe that's one four seven eight two two seven five five six three and this has been a production of the powder coating research group our music editing and now our video and streaming is done by nick page powder coating man powder coating man does whatever a powder coating can <laughs> and remember folks keep your powder dry Sign up for the powder coating short course. It's the, called the powder coating kitchen. And we normally have outtakes at this we're, point. <laughs> we're done. Yeah, we're.
Did you record?